reading from 1 Kings. When Jezebel was killing off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets, hid them fifty to a cave, and provided them with bread and water. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the wadis. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. As Obadiah was on the way, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, fell on his face, and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? He answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord that Elijah is here. The word of the Lord. A reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So then, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel today comes from the book of St. John, the sixth chapter, beginning with the 35th verse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the religious authorities began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My dearest siblings, grace and peace to you from God in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. Um, growing up, I, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I have always loved the Holy Grail stories. And when I talk about the Holy Grail stories, I'm talking about 
uh, the cup that Christ drank from, the story that that cup somehow uh, was taken by Joseph of Arimathea and transported somewhere and it was lost to history and then people went in search of it trying to find it and if you were able to find this cup and drink from it, you would be able to live forever. You would have immortality. And, and ever since I was a kid, I've loved the Grail stories. It's just something so fascinating about them. Uh, I was drawn to the King Arthur legends because King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table always went on quests looking for the Holy Grail. It was finally Lancelot's son, Galahad, who found it. Um, but then Indiana Jones, the third one, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? Looking for the Holy Grail. Um, always just excited me, this mysterious item from Jesus that might be recovered. Uh, anybody else? Holy Grail? Yeah, a little bit? Okay. You know, I noticed something, though, as I got older, and especially as a pastor, kind of immersing myself in the Jesus movement for us today, um, the Holy Grail stories have this underlying thread to them, and that is self-centeredness right? King Arthur and his knights. I mean, King Arthur is supposed to be the most revered, altruistic king and his knights. They sat around, around a round table because they were all equal. Yet, they went in search for this holy grail because they wanted to live forever. Or Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. The Nazis, not the best people looking for the Holy Grail so that they could find it and win the war, so that they could have immortality. But even, even the wonderful Dr. Jones and his father, while they didn't want it for their own immortality, they wanted it to be in a museum. They wanted the prestige of being able to find this very famous artifact. So there's this underlying theme within these Holy Grail stories of self-centeredness. It's about me. I bring this up because we see that same underlying thread in Christianity. And that rings in our gospel text today. This gospel text comes out as though, this is what's good for me. This has a recipe to it that would benefit me. I mean, and how can it not? It says right here in the text, whoever eats of this bread will live forever. How can you not hear that and think, wow, I want some of that bread. I want to live forever. I know some of us might be thinking, I don't want to live forever. Of course, the idea being that this forever has to do with heaven, has to do with afterlife, paradise, health, wellness, etc. But, but still, right there, what do I have to do to get this bread? It has this self-centeredness in it that, that comes out, doesn't it? When we look at Christian history throughout the ages, starting at about uh, medieval Christianity, and then going all the way through even to the turn of the 20th century, Christianity has this shift. It moves away from this communal focus, this focus of, of compassion and caring for, for society, for the community, especially for the least of these, and it switches into this more personal individualization of Christianity. Christianity becomes more of a faith about what's in it for me. And texts, like our gospel text, have been at the center of that. I mean, again, whoever eats of this bread will live forever. 
And it's been this kind of thinking, honestly, folks, that has plagued Christianity for too long. It has removed Christianity from being a way of life that cares for the hungry, the imprisoned, the oppressed. Honestly, when I look at the problems in our world today, problems of poverty, problems of hunger, problems of treatable diseases that people by the millions are dying from, I can only think that our world needs a better Christianity. Our world is due for a Christianity that is more authentic to Jesus' words in their own context and into the context of the people who first heard them, the people who knew what Jesus was saying when he was sharing these words in our gospel text today. For example, the Greek doesn't say, live forever. That's a translation that came later on. What the Greek actually says is, whoever eats of this bread will live into the age. That's a literal translation, and that doesn't sound very good in English, does it? You might hear that and think, I have no idea what that means. Whoever eats of this bread will live into the age. It was a concept in this time of Jesus saying, whoever eats of this bread will live a full life. It was about here and now, but it was about wholeness, fulfillment. And Jesus even gives an example of what that life is like, what we are called to do to have that full life. It's how he ends the text, this this speech today. He says it's through his flesh, through the giving of himself, not through self-centeredness, but in self-giving, in loving other people, in living For other people, we have this fullness of life. We can take texts like John's gospel, like what I read today, and if we pull them out and read them by themselves, yes, this sounds very self-centered. But we have to read texts like this within the whole. And John's gospel ends with these words. It's after the resurrection. Jesus is at a campfire with his disciples who have betrayed him and fled. And they're all gathered together. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. It's not a command to live self-centeredness. Jesus doesn't say, hey, here's a recipe for you so you can live forever. Do you love me? Go out and feed my sheep. Now in our text today, Jesus is absolutely making a distinction. A distinction between those who will receive him and those who will not receive him. Those who hear my words come from the Father, which in turn means those who do not hear my words do not come from the Father. But Jesus is not talking about acceptance here. He's not talking about people who accept him, who accept him as Lord and Savior, who believe that he is the Son of God. In fact, Jesus is talking about imitation. Not those who accept me, but those who imitate me, those who walk this way of life, of self-giving feeding my sheep. And frankly, Christianity has been missing this message for far too long. We are at a point, honestly, where it is time for us, not just in this church, but Christians in the world, over to realize that as we are fed by the body, we are sent out as the body to feed the world. 
to show our love of Jesus by feeding Jesus' sheep. When Jesus first shared these words about bread, about his body, the reason he uses this metaphor is because he's talking to hungry people. He's talking to people who have no idea where their next meal is coming from. He's talking to people who regularly were dying from starvation. But that's not the case for us today. For those of us sitting in this room, compared to people back then, compared to most of the world, we have relative wealth. We are relatively wealthy people simply because we know where our next meal is coming from. We hear these words from a different context, from a different place, from a, a different space of, of values. And yet, and yet, right here in our country, one, in ten of, uh, one out of ten Americans suffer from food insecurity. One out of seven children don't know where their next meal is coming from in this country alone. And 40% of all of our food is thrown away. Joel Berg, the CEO of Hunger Free America, uh, does a lot of TED Talks and, and stuff like that. Uh, and, and he's a, a former fellow, um, uh, an analyst, and he's done his own uh, computations, etc. And he's figured that it would take $25 billion to end hunger in this country. $25 billion and we could wipe hunger away in this country. And I know we might hear that figure and think, well, how are you going to do that? Where's the money for something like that going to come from? The Center for American Progress has found that right now, we spend $167 billion a year responding to hunger in this country. That seems like a pretty easy choice, right? Spend $25 billion, save $140 billion. Let me put it this way, though. Our country has 230 million Christians. If 230 million Christians suddenly had a shift in thinking, suddenly stopped treating Christianity as what's in it for me, and started treating Christianity as a faith that's called to be the body of Christ, and to go out into the world and feed the body of Christ. If we suddenly did that, nobody in this country would go hungry or thirsty. Kind of changes Jesus' words in our gospel text today. Through this body, no one will go hungry and no one will go thirsty again. Jesus isn't talking about some kind of self-centered acceptance. He's talking about what happens when 230 million people come together and solve problems in this world, like hunger. One that would actually save us $140 billion a year. We're there, folks. We're there now. We could do this today if we wanted to. 
And that's why I say it's time for a better, more authentic Christianity. A Christianity that stops looking at our faith about what's in it for me and starts looking at our faith as this powerful thing where people come together through God's love and go out into the world and bring heaven here. Think of the problems that we could solve if we just suddenly shifted our thinking away from me to us, to caring for those in need. And I know we hear things like this, things that are are monumental like this, and we think, what can I do? What can we do here in our little church in this tucked away corner of, of the country? But it just starts with a shift in thinking. That's the most powerful thing any of you can do. Every Sunday when we come here for communion, every Sunday we come and we experience the body of Christ, not just in that bread, but in the presence of each other. That happens every Sunday. And if we just shift our thinking and stop treating that bread as this thing that's going to give me eternal life, but rather this thing that is God's unconditional love for me always, this thing that fills me up, nourishes me, and then sends me out into the world to feed others. Think of what we could do. There's a reason our sacramental theology ends with ascending. If any of you look in your bulletin right now, I don't know if you have ever noticed it, but the very last section in your bulletin does not say conclusion or end or finale or anything like that. It says sending. That's how we always end our service. That's how Lutherans have been ending their service for decades and decades and decades. Because our service doesn't end here. We are sent out into the world. Here, we encounter the body of Christ in the bread and in each other. But then we are always sent out to be the body of Christ for this world. And this body today, has the power to change the world. Amen.